You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Luke chapter 10, you guys. We've been talking about our mission. If you've been here with us the last several weeks, uh, you've heard a lot about that, our mission. And without the gospel, there is no mission. That, that is the message that we take on our mission. Our mission is to make disciples. Jesus gave us that mission. But it's the gospel that we take on our mission. That's the message that we have to radically change lives. And without the gospel, we have no mission. And the church has lost its influence on culture because we've departed from the gospel. Because we've made Christianity into a list of do's and don'ts. Because we've made Christianity into a list of moral indicatives. Things that you need to do for God. But you guys, if we separate morality from the gospel, we have gutted Christianity. And we've made ourselves powerless to do anything. We've made ourselves powerless to have the kind of marriages that are being spoken of. To raise the kind of kids that the pastor, the church, these books say that I need to raise. I mean, I want to raise those kind of kids, but there's no gospel. There's no redemption. How is it even possible? I mean, I want to quit lusting. I want to quit having this this anger. I want to quit being covetous. But if all it is is a bunch of things that I need to do, and I'm not given the reason or the power, then I'm left hopeless. And that's what's happening. And that's why we've lost our influence on the culture, you guys. That's it. Right there. If you look at the church and you see unhealthiness in the church, if you see a lack of of dynamic life change, if you see that the church has kind of gotten off, that's it right there. That's the bottom line. We've gotten away from the gospel. It's as simple as that. And even in my movement, even in this movement, the Calvary Chapel movement, you can teach through the Bible till you're blue in the face. But if there's no gospel, you've got nothing. And it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how you can teach through the Bible and you can go all the way through the Old Testament and you can be in the New Testament and not get to Jesus and not talk about the gospel. Oh, but we're teaching through the Bible. We're giving people all kinds of good stuff to do. And we're putting burdens on them. And they're they're leaving just all jacked up. Things I've got to do. Oh, Lord, i got to do this and i got to do that. And, oh, I want to do it so bad. But there's no power behind it. We are failing in our mission as Christians. I don't mean this generally. I mean this you. We are failing in our mission because the gospel is perceived as the basics of Christianity. It's the basics. We're going to move on to the deeper truths. I even had somebody say that to me recently. I I wish you'd talk about other things. I I wish you would not beat the same drum. Here's the thing, you guys. We're going to talk about all those things that I just talked about. We're going to talk about a lot of different topics. We're going to talk about felt needs. But guess what? Without the gospel, it's all a waste of time. It has to come back to the gospel every single time. And if you're perceiving that that the simple message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the basics, and you're going to move on past that to deeper things, you, you need 
to re-examine Christianity. You, you need to get back to the word and to see that from Genesis to Revelation, it's one unfolding story pointing to the pinnacle, the demonstration of God's love for you. And that's the message that we have to give to every person that we come in contact with. You cannot move away from the gospel as a Christian. That would be like Starbucks moving away from coffee. And all that they have is CDs and muffins and coffee mugs. I mean, they do a good job of that stuff, right? You go in there, they got cool music. They, they've got some, some pastries. They've got cool coffee mugs with lids on them that never spill, that keep it cold or hot, whatever you want. They got good stuff in there. But what if you went in there and you got all that stuff and you went up to the counter and you were like, yeah, I want a 451 degree soy latte with cinnamon sprinkles and chocolate and honey um, and make it diet. Can you do that? Uh, we don't have coffee anymore. We just sell the CDs and the pastries and stuff. The coffee was cool for a while. It got you to come here. But we've moved on to other things. You'd be like, what? That's ridiculous. And that's kind of what's happened in the church. It's kind of what's happened in our Christian life. I'm moving on to deeper things. What a tragedy. This morning as we look at our text, Luke chapter 10, verses 21 to 42, I want us to see three things about the gospel as we're talking about our mission. Jesus has just sent out 70 people to go out on mission to radically change their culture. Same thing you're called to do. And they did that with the gospel. And the first thing that we see is the joy of the gospel. Verses 21 to 24. It says, in that hour, the hour that the 70 returned and Jesus is hearing all the stories of what's going on and, and how they were able to be used by the Lord. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it. And to hear what you hear and have not heard it. And so the first thing we see is the joy of the gospel. A couple things is that the gospel that we know that's been revealed to us by the sovereignty of God, the, the gospel that your eyes have been opened to. See, you need to understand that. And we, we use terms like, I came to Christ, and I found Christ. But the truth of the matter is, is that God grabbed a hold of you. God captured your heart. God opened your eyes. Because if he didn't, you would never know him. He revealed himself to you. He's hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. Basically what that means is he's hidden these things from those that believe that they're too smart. They don't need that. It's too simple of a message. And people will say that. That's too good to be true. I want something that I have a little bit of involvement in. He's hidden these things from them. But he's revealed them to babes, to the foolish, to the simple. And no one knows who the son is except the father. And who the Father is except the Son. If the Trinity, if the triune God wanted to be a secret to us, 
If he wanted to never reveal himself to us, he could have. And we would have never known him. But he chose to reveal himself through general revelation, which is the creation. Through specific revelation, which is his word, the inspired word, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself to us, as it says. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So if they wanted to be separate from us and remain that way, they could have. But God chose, Jesus chose, he willed to reveal himself to you. And that ought to bring you joy. You see in verse 21 it says, in that hour Jesus rejoiced. Now something very interesting about that. Several times in the New Testament it says Jesus was grieved. We even see that Jesus was angry. This is the only time that it says Jesus rejoiced. The only time. The only time that we hear about Jesus' joy, that he rejoiced. Now, not that he didn't have joy, not that he didn't rejoice all the time, but by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is the only time that it says that. And why is that? Because it wants us to point to our true source of joy, which is lives being radically changed by the gospel. That's what brought Jesus joy. What brings you joy? I think our world, our culture especially our narcissistic culture that we live in that says it's all about you and it's all about my happiness. The, the purpose that most people believe they have is to be happy. What they find is it's like a mirage. You, you think it'll be just over the hill and then you get there and it's not there and then you, you think, okay, if I just get this or okay, now if I just get that and, and just look at the things in our culture. Look at these women that think they'll be happy if they they have a baby and then they have babies and oh you, you know and they, they've been struggling to have one for for a long time and oh well now if i can just have 12 at once i'll be happy seriously or or athletes who have all the money in the world and they retire and then they unretire and then they retire and then they unretire and Brett Favre's like waiting for a phone call from the Vikings right now cuz he can't give it up because that's what makes him happy and the world says You deserve to be happy. The thing is, is that you're never going to find happiness in the things of this world. It will never satisfy you. And Jesus demonstrates to us where our joy ought to be, what ought to make us happy, because it's eternal. You can't take it away. That's people coming to Christ, people responding to the gospel. Does that make you happy? Does that drive you? If you're on your mission, it will. That will drive you to go to that job you hate. That will drive you to go to those family get-togethers that are an absolute drudgery. That will drive you to respond to your wife in love because you don't want to have a marriage that is just a pile of poo. You want to have a marriage that's reflective of the gospel, right? That's your mission. And so when you see that, it drives everything else you do. And it makes you happy. It brings joy to you. But if you're looking for it in something else, you'll never find it. You'll absolutely never find it. The gospel brings happiness, fulfillment, joy. And when you're on your mission as a Christian, that brings you fulfillment and purpose in life. That's what you were created to do. Because you're created a mago day in the image of God. And God is on mission, right? From the very beginning of the revelation of God in Genesis, we see that God is on mission. He steps out of heaven and he's hanging out in a garden with, with Adam, pretending like he doesn't know where he's at. Where are you, Adam? What's going on, man? Oh, you're covered up in fig leaves? That ain't going to work. 
sacrifice of an animal pointing to Jesus, the gospel given in Genesis 3.15, while God is cursing man and cursing the devil, he's also giving the gospel, pointing to Jesus, because from the very beginning, God has been on mission, and he's created you in his image. So if you're created in his image, but you're not on mission with him, what does that lead to? Unfulfillment, lack of connection with God, feeling like I don't really know you, Lord, my prayers don't make sense, this Bible is so hard to figure out, I don't get it. Here's why. Because you're praying, listen, you're praying all about you. Lord, I want to be happy. God, I want to have a good marriage. God, help me to raise these kids right. God, I want to have peace. God, this. God, that. Make me happy. Lord, surely this book is all about me. Oh, it isn't. It's about Jesus. It's about your mission. You figure that out, everything makes sense. But you don't figure it out, and nothing makes sense. Absolutely nothing makes sense, you guys. Church doesn't make sense. Why I'm giving to this stupid church doesn't make sense. Why am I serving these stupid little brats down here in the nursery? Nothing makes sense. And we're just like going through a fog of Christianity. Just giving our money and serving, but just doing it with a heart that is horrible. But when you have the epiphany, see, you're probably saved. I'm not talking about that. But when you have the epiphany, and all of a sudden, you see the joy that the gospel brings. You see that Jesus rejoiced because people were being changed for eternity. All of a sudden, it all makes sense. Lord, I I hate going to work every day. I hate my job. God, if you find it in your will to give me another job, I would absolutely be stoked. But I'm going. I'm going today, Lord. I'm going to turn that wrench again. I'm going to send that plank through that machine again. God, I'm going to hammer that nail. Or God, I'm going to teach those kids in that class whatever it is that you hate that you're doing. And Lord, I'm doing it for you because I'm on mission with you. And Lord, I'm going to get that paycheck. And God, it's not about me. Lord, I don't care about that boat anymore or that new rifle or that new pair of shoes or that bigger house. God, I don't care about that because I'm on mission with you and my heart is absolutely exploding to tell people about the gospel. And so, Lord, if I can give money to further that, man, this isn't my money. I'm on mission with you. God, if I can make some sacrifices to make that happen, I'm gonna do it. You see how it changes everything? That's what God wants to do in you. See, and that's why I don't wanna stand up here and tell you how to be a better employee and not give you the gospel. That's why I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you how to have a better marriage, divorced from the gospel, and I don't mean to pardon the pun, I I don't want to do that. Because it's all about your mission. And when you get that, and you get the joy of the gospel, look out. God doesn't need gifted, intelligent, articulate people. God needs you. On fire for him, captured by him, on your mission, filled with the joy of the gospel. And look out, you guys. You'll start to see your family impacted. You'll start to see your neighbors wanting to know what you have that they don't. Students, you'll start to see kids in high school coming to you asking you a reason for the hope that lies within you. It doesn't mean you you don't enjoy sports. It doesn't mean you're not a good student. It doesn't mean that you don't have a good time or that you're weird. You don't even have to wear a Christian t-shirt. You don't have to do any of that stuff. Just start being on mission. Just start living for the gospel. Just start having the joy of the gospel pouring out of your life and people will want it. 
They don't want cheesy t-shirts. They don't want caustic bumper stickers. They don't want churches that are absolutely irrelevant to their lives. They don't want a pastor that's going to pile a bunch of burdens on them. Who wants that? They want a God that loves them. And we have that. The joy of the gospel. The privilege that we have. A second thing that we see is in verses 25 to 27. The love of the gospel. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer. Probably don't think of this lawyer as the modern day lawyer. The brunt of all the jokes. Think of this guy as an expert in the law. The Old Testament law. Think of him as a theologian. A certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, Teacher, speaking to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? On the surface, this seems like a very genuine question. In fact, it's a very pertinent question. It's a question that every one of us ought to be asking. And if you don't know Jesus here this morning, you ought to be asking, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And the answer is very simple. Turn your life over to Jesus. The answer is very simple. Receive the love that he demonstrated for you on the cross. Recognize that you have nothing to offer God. He'll take your sin, your guilt, your shame, your screwed up life, and he'll give you forgiveness, peace, joy, and a brand new life. It's what Martin Luther called the great exchange. I've made some good trades in my life. I remember when I used to have baseball cards, and I remember loving to rip kids off. You you do all kinds of research. This is going to be the good one, right? Oh, man, I got over on that guy. Well, look, God doesn't get ripped off. But if we didn't know better, we would think we got over on him. We, we give him our sin, our guilt, our shame, our ugliness, and he gives us righteousness and peace and joy and a new life. Lord, are, were you thinking clearly on this one? I don't know if this is quite fair. It's amazing. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? It's awesome, awesome question that each one of us should ask. But the text tells us, that his motives weren't quite genuine. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So Jesus responds, hey, what does the Bible say? What is your interpretation of the Bible? You guys, this is an amazing example of how to witness. Jesus didn't treat this guy like an idiot. He didn't come across condescendingly. He just said to him, you've read the Bible. What do you think? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The guy nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. Jesus, in fact, would say the very same thing when asked by another scribe. What is the essence of the law? Sum up the law for us. So this guy is either paying really good attention, or he he had it figured out in the sense of that you could sum up the Bible with, Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. The entire Bible is about love. Certainly the gospel is about love. And the second point is is the love of the gospel. There was something that this guy didn't quite get. What he did get was that if you could do it on your own, this is how you do it. You love God with everything you've got and you love people. And if you can do that, you'll be saved. But guess what? It didn't take you but about two minutes of life to blow this out. So now you got to p- turn to plan B. Because we haven't loved God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, have we? Unless you're like my grandpa, who on his deathbed told my mom that he had kept the Ten Commandments his whole life. He was deceived. What's so ironic about that is that the man was the most crazy, flesh-head, 
there ever was. Partying, sleeping with as many women as he could sleep with, fighting, stealing. The guy was crazy. I've kept them all, he told my mom. It's essentially what this guy is saying to Jesus. You just got to go do this. You, you just got to try really hard to love God and love people and you're cool. And Jesus said, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. No problem, man. But, and you got to love these buts in the Bible, right? Verse 29. But he, wanting to justify himself. So now he's processing it. You know how that is, right? He's processing the information. He's going, man, this morning I woke up and I didn't love my wife. And yesterday, I got angry with that guy, and I, I lusted after that woman, and I was thinking it would be really cool to have my neighbor's new chariot. So, wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Who, ex- Jesus, let's, let's get something straight here, okay? Let's define who neighbor is, and then I'll, I'm good. Because if I can lower the expectation of who my neighbor is, then I'm probably doing okay, right? Because, I mean, for most of us, we're, we're loving our kids and we're, we're loving those that, that love us. Something about our base nature is that we tend to like people that like us. Have you ever been in this quandary where you didn't like somebody and then all of a sudden you found out that they really like you? You didn't like them. You didn't like anything about them. And then all of a sudden you find out they're, they're just complimenting you and they want to hang out with you and now all of a sudden you're in a quandary it's like you know what i kind of like this guy (laughs) we like people that like us we love people that love us but the same thing is true have you ever liked somebody and then found out they don't like you and all of a sudden you're like "Ah, i don't like that guy he's a jerk why well he doesn't like me really who is my neighbor jesus then jesus answered and said one of the most famous stories in all of the bible A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which, if you don't know, is about a 3,200-foot drop in elevation, 18 miles. Rocky, nasty road, all kinds of caves around with robbers and stuff hanging out. So this guy's making his way down Jerusalem to Jericho, steep, and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance... A certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he sees the dude, and he walks completely around him for a couple reasons. One is he's not sure if he's dead, and he's a priest, and he doesn't want to be defiled. I don't want to be defiled by a dead guy. I'm a priest, and I'm going to have to go through all this ritual. It's not good. It's a hassle. Plus, if he's not dead and he needs help, I don't have time. I'm busy. I don't want to hassle with it, so I'm going around to the other side. And and the reason Jesus said that he went around to the other side is to make it very clear to us that he wanted to have nothing to do with this. Likewise, a Levite, another person who in our culture would be like a pastor, a guy who was serving in the temple. He's coming down from Jerusalem. He's just been ministering to people and offering sacrifice, praising God, worshiping God, telling people about God, representing God to the people. When he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. He did the same thing. But a certain Samaritan, and you can just imagine as this lawyer, as this scribe, hears the word Samaritan, that he's thinking, okay, this is going to get good. This Samaritan's going to like go and, and pounce on him and take the little bit of life that's out of him. At least the priest just went around him. But Samaritans, the Jews hated Samaritans. They were like arch enemies. Hated them. 
It was not only religious tension, it was racial tension. Every bit as much as any racial tension we've had in this country in our history. So the Samaritan, as soon as this guy hears the word, he's thinking, oh, this is going to get good. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, yeah, yeah, he kicked him in the gut. He had compassion. Oh, this can't be. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, which is two days' wages. A couple hundred bucks. Two denarii. And said to the innkeeper, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think was neighbor? Remember, that was the question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus, the master teacher, answers this amazingly. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Huh? What do you think? Another great lesson for us in giving people the gospel and being on our mission. Ask questions. Jesus almost always answered questions with a question. And even in telling this story, he doesn't end it by saying, See, this is who the neighbor is, idiot. He asks him a question. Who do you think he is? Of the three. Who was neighborly? To the guy that was beat up, robbed, and left for dead. Who was neighborly? And the scribe, the lawyer, said, he who showed mercy to him. He couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Couldn't do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the guy that showed mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. I can't do that. I don't have the power to do that. Exactly. Because Jesus told you, go love your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. And that is impossible to do without the gospel because our God is on a mission and he stepped out of heaven he sacrificed big time like this Samaritan did you think Jesus had better things to do than to take on human flesh and live among us and put up with the stuff he put up with be born into poverty and then be arrested and crucified and spit upon and beat I'm sure Jesus had better things to do right just like this Samaritan had better things to do and so when you get a hold of who Jesus is And you recognize that Jesus isn't saying to you, go love your enemies, and I never showed you how to do it. Because the Bible tells us that we're God's enemies. We are at enmity with God, and yet he reached out to us. Jesus isn't saying, I want you to pray for those who despitefully use you, and I'm not going to show you how to do it. Because as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus says, bless those that persecute you, which is exactly what Jesus did as he brought the gospel to the very people that nailed him to the cross. Go and do likewise. If you're not a Christian here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, this is impossible. Oh, maybe you can help people a little bit, but it will always end somewhere because the crux of this is that there's no way that in his own strength this guy would ever even talk to this person let alone minister and help this person the way that he did. The gospel creates a love in our heart for people we otherwise wouldn't care about. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you have not turned your life over to Jesus Christ, this is the kind of love that God has for you and that he wants you to have for others that maybe you haven't seen demonstrated in your own life. You've never seen this kind of love. 
In fact, even the people in your life that are supposed to love you have hurt you and abused you and taken advantage of you. And God says to you this morning, the heart of the Samaritan is my heart for you. And I I want to empower you to be able to go do that. And see, that's the message we have, you guys, because everybody on this planet, everybody on this planet wants to live in a better place, right? Everybody wants to have this kind of love. We've got to begin to redefine how we bring the gospel to people. We've got to start telling people what they want, not what they don't want. Everybody wants a better place, so start from there. You want a better world? You want to have peace? You want to have happiness? You want love to reign? Let me tell you something. Let me read you a story that illustrates the kind of love that God has for you. Really? You mean this isn't about church This isn't about dressing a certain way. This isn't about talking a certain way. You mean God really loves me like this? Yes, he does. And he wants to have a relationship with me. That's how we've got to start taking the gospel to people. That's when our mission starts to become fun. When we start to recognize that that all of us have things in common. That everybody has hopes and dreams and aspirations. And if you can grab a hold of that and seize it with the gospel... Change the world. Change the world. And to Christians, to Christians, he says, go and do likewise. You have the ability. You have the potential. You have all the power. You have the Holy Spirit right here. And you have the example of the gospel and the cross. And you've been commissioned with the mission. Now go do it. Go and do likewise. Go and love people that you otherwise wouldn't ever give a rat's butt about. Go and do it. You mean I got to start, you know, Looking for these things, I, I got I to gotta go across the world. No, right here. There's people laying, wounded, beat up, stripped, robbed, lives destroyed, half dead all around us. You don't have to go look for them. They'll come right to you. They're at the grocery store. They're at the bank. They live with you. They're your neighbor. They're sitting in the bleachers with you while you're watching your kids play Little League. They're sitting right next to you in church. Go and do likewise. The love of the gospel. This is the kind of love that God wants to pour out into your hearts and let you spread. And when we do it, you guys, we'll radically change this world right here in this community. How come the Lord's not using us? How come we're not seeing people come to Christ? Oh, man, the numbers are down. It's not hard to figure out, is it? One of the greatest principles of marketing and sales is to have a product that people want. It sells itself. That's why... Really good products don't have to spend a lot of money on advertising because people just want it. We're not salesmen. We're on a mission. We're missionaries. But the principle stands. People want it. They need it. The love of the gospel. Okay. Verses 38 to 42. The focus of the gospel. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. There's a lot to be could said about this, but very quickly, the focus of the gospel. The gospel causes us to put away earthly pursuits, to put away distractions, even good distractions. 
That's the point of this. What Martha was doing was not sinful. It was not wrong. It was not evil. It was good. She was serving. She was making dinner. But she was distracted by it. Her heart wasn't in the right place. Where her sister Mary was right at the feet of Jesus. Learning from him. Hearing his word. Allowing him to touch her life. And that's what the gospel does to us. It focuses us on Jesus. And becoming more like him. And you guys, if you've gotten off your mission, it very well could be because you've been distracted by many things. Maybe not necessarily bad. Stuff at home, extra work, ministry, thinking that your Christian life is defined by the church when it's never supposed to be that way. And you become distracted by many things. Serving God, serving others, involved in lots of activity, all the while your heart is totally, totally distracted. There's a disconnect. You're serving the Lord, but you notice that it's kind of with a, just an attitude, and, and it's, it's not really fun. And you're making dinner for your kids, but you don't enjoy it. And you're doing laundry for your husband, and there's no love in it. And you're saying to God, God, don't you know? Can't somebody come and help me? I'm, I'm burdened down here, Lord. And God says, you're distracted. You need to refocus yourself. Sit at my feet. Hear from me. Become like me so that you can be on mission with me. That's the point. Don't get distracted. Certainly not with evil, with sin. But don't get distracted with seemingly good things either. Having your life defined by what could be a good thing. Focus on Jesus, the focus of the gospel. You'll become more like him because you become like what you worship. And we want to become like Jesus. And when we're like Jesus and we're just living life, people are attracted to that. And the mission starts to take care of itself because people want Jesus. They want that love. When you're like him, people will be drawn to you and they'll be drawn to the gospel. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for this great text. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here this morning that does not know you personally. Lord, that they would turn their lives over to you in a very radical way. Lord, I want to pray that right now they would just simply ask you to become the Lord of their life. They would say, Jesus I want the kind of love that Ryan talked about. Jesus, I want that forgiveness. I want to have meaning and purpose for my life. I I want to connect with you and to have a relationship with my creator. Lord, I want to pray for those of us who do know you this morning. That God, we would be re-energized, recharged, refocused with the gospel, with our mission this morning. That Lord, we could go from here ready to change this community, to change our world to impact our culture with the most amazing message ever given. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. May you be glorified. May you be famous in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.